Hey guys, today we're talking about concept formation as a mathematical process from Chapter 3 of Objectivism, the Philosophy of Ayn Rand. Stay tuned. Okay, so today we are talking about measurement omission. Now, if you remember where we left off, we went through the conscious process by which we form concepts, which is that first we engage in differentiation, which is where we isolate a group of similar concretes or similar existence against a background of different existence. And, you know, we talked about the way in which it was that similarity was really a smaller difference swamped by a larger difference. And that allowed us to see these existence before us, uh, Steve Jobs and Bernie Madoff, as similar as against, say, a cat, right? And then the next step was integration, was taking all of the concretes that are similar and fusing them into a new mental entity that ultimately we're holding in the form of a concrete, which is a word, um, a symbol that stands for a concept, and that from there on out, we're on a policy of anything else that we see that is like Madoff, that's like Jobs, we are going to include under the concept of man, and that amounts to opening a file folder where we store knowledge that's relevant to all men. And if you'll recall, what we left off with, though, is what is it that allows us to do that? Why can we treat all men as interchangeable given that there's no identical element within them? That if you compare men and, and, and look at any aspect of them, there's differences. So what is it about them that allows us to treat them as identical? And that's really what we're going to talk about today. So let's do a quick rundown of what Leonard covers in this section. So first he starts with a parallel between measurement and concept formation. That in measurement, you know, what we're able to do is relate things to a quantitative standard, let's say foot, and that allows us ultimately to go from perception to beyond perception. That is, we can identify quantitative relationships, we can measure, say, distance in, in increments smaller than what we can perceive all the way down to the microscopic level all the way to distances that are so expansive that we can't perceive them, you know, the distance from here to the moon or further. So we, it's by identifying quantitative relationships that we can go beyond perception. And what we see in this section is that that is the same process that it goes on in concept formation. And so that the, the Ayn Rand's answer, if you remember, we talked about context omission last time, which was the idea that, oh, we form concepts by stripping away differences. Objectivism's view is, no, we don't strip away differences because then you'd be left with nothing. We don't engage in context omission. We engage in measurement omission. And so what is measurement omission? Well, we Leonard talks about it both in terms of uh, differentiation and integration. He starts with integration. And he says that when we integrate the existence that we're engaged in conceptualizing, what we're doing is we're seeing that, say, Steve Jobs and Bernie Madoff, um, they have the identical characteristics, but in the but the different and the differences between them are only differences in measurement. And so, to form the concept man, what you're in effect saying is you're saying that. Um, the as an as an as a kid you're probably doing it in forms of shape there's kind of man shape and the differences are only ones of degree of more or less and as an adult you would say it's a range of consciousness and that the differences between bernie madoff and steve jobs 
as beings holding reason, the reason differs only in measurement, only quantitatively, and so we can treat them as the same as against a cat, which has a much smaller range of consciousness, or you could say a different kind of shape. And so that so it's the way that Ayn Rand will put it is that we're not pretending the measurements don't exist. We're not saying that they're we're not pretending that the you know range of consciousness of a Steve Jobs is the same as Bernie Madoff is the same as Don Watkins or that they don't exist at all. What we're saying is that they exist, but they're not specified. And this is the idea of measurements must exist in some quantity, but can exist in any quantity within the relevant range. Now. To, then Leonard turns to differentiation and says that in the process of differentiation, measurement omission is playing a key role. And what is that role? Well, remember, what we're differentiating between is we're saying that a smaller difference uh, is is swamped by a, a bigger difference, that the difference between Steve Jobs and uh, Bernie Madoff is swamped um, by the bigger difference they have with a cat or with a sloth or something like that. But that contrasting concrete, the cat or the sloth, in order for us to be able to differentiate them, they must have an underlying similarity. That is, they must be commensurable. That the kind of man shape has to be measurable against cat shape. They're both under the umbrella of shape. And shape here plays the role of what Ayn Rand calls the conceptual common denominator. It's the characteristic that by which they, those that whole range of concretes that we're comparing um, and contrasting can be measured against one another. And so, you know, as a kid, it would be man shape versus cat shape. They're both on the CCD of shape. As an adult, as we learn more about man and animals in the whole world, and we need to focus on different things in order to differentiate man from animals, we would get something like range of consciousness. And we can say that, you know, there's a man range of consciousness, and that's commensurable against cat range of consciousness all the way down to, you know, what would you call it? Maybe slug or jellyfish range of consciousness. That Those are all commensurable. In, whereas you couldn't form the concept man by differentiating, you know, Bernie Madoff and Steve Jobs against rock music or the color red, that those wouldn't be commensurable characteristics. There would be nothing in which you could relate them to a common unit of more or less. And so <clears throat> it's it's measurement and, and recognizing that, that uh, the differences between men are not differences in their characteristics, but in the measurement of those characteristics. That's what's going to allow us to form concepts. That's the basis of concepts and reality. And thus we get to the final part of this section where Leonard is focused on, well, why do we need to know this? Because unlike what we talked about in the previous chapter, measurement omission happens implicitly. We do it without knowing it, and we would continue to do it without knowing it. But what that perspective gives us is a validation of reason, because our basic mode of functioning as thinkers and as actors, as human beings, is the conceptual level. And by knowing that the conceptual level is uh, legitimate, because when it's treating things as a unity, it's treating them as a unity because they are identical in a certain respect. They're identical um, as having the same characteristics within uh, a given range that differs only in measurement, um, only in, you know only quantitatively. Uh, we validate a reason. We've put it on firm footing, and that allows us to you know move ahead with the whole of philosophy. So let's say a few things about measurement. So first of all, the first thing to be clear on is that when Ayn Rand's talking about measurement omission, 
She's not saying that we actually have to be able to carry out measurement or measure entities or measure their attributes in order to form concepts. Rather, the point is that they have to, that in order to do it, we have to recognize that these things are measurable. And even that's not exactly the right way to put it. Rather, at the perceptual level, what we perceive as similarity to the fact that things are commensurable. We, we, it's not that a little kid has to look at two human beings and say, okay, they have a common shape as against a cat. It's that because they have a commensurable characteristic, a characteristic that differs in terms of more or less, they can just, um, uh, at the first level of concept formation, perceive similarity. And the, and to say that they're commensurable doesn't even mean that you could actually assign numbers to it. So shape, yes, you could break down into like um, like actual numerical, what's called uh, cardinal measurement. But what's all that's necessary for concept formation is ordinal measurement, which means the the ability to relate things to saying more or less. And um, everything in the universe is measured measurable in that sense because everything is related to other things in the universe so there's oh we're always able to conceptualize things because they stand in a more or less relationship with other things based on their characteristics and the real insight then is that qualitative differences that what we perceive as qualitative differences or what we think of as qualitative differences are really quantitative differences it's the it's bigger quantitative differences swamping smaller ones. You know, the quantitative differences between uh, human beings are smaller than the quantitative differences in shape or range of consciousness with cats or sloths. But it's just a quantitative difference, but at a certain point, a quantitative difference becomes a qualitative difference. And so, you know, you can think about an analogy like this. So it's a brutally cold winter day and you step inside, you know, say a little mud room that's not well insulated and the wind's been blowing through the door. It got less cold, right? Like it's just a measurement. It's less cold. And you step into the main room and now that's even less cold than the previous room. And then finally you go into a bathroom where there's a vent blowing hot air and it's less cold still. But that, that, the difference between that and outside is even though it's just a difference in degree, literally a difference in degree, um, it, the difference is so big that you can say outside it's cold and here it's hot. But all it is is a quantitative difference, a difference that is at a scale that is qualitatively different. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about measurement omission in both the process of differentiation and the process of integration. And now you'll notice that uh, Leonard talks about them in terms of he gives us measurement omission as it applies to integration first and differentiation second, which is a reversal of the process that we went through in the previous section where we said that first we differentiate and then we integrate. And um, as best I can tell, the reason that he does this is simply because it's easier to understand measurement omission in the context of integration than differentiation. Differentiation, we get into this tricky concept of commensurability and the conceptual common denominator, very intimidating uh, words. And I think he wants to give us a the, the more easy aspect of um, measurement omission to grasp. But because we've already gone through it in Leonard's organization, I think we can now go through it um, in, in, in the same way that you know it, it, the process actually is carried out when we're thinking. And so we'll start with differentiation. And 
differentiation as we've talked about is really you're isolating things that are less different than a third thing than a foil as harry benswinger will call it that we perceive things as similar because they're less different than something that's uh even more different you know um bernie madoff and steve jobs are different but they're less different than against each other than they are to a cat and all we're adding in this section uh all, all we're adding by bringing in measurement omission is really to say that what allows the cat to function as a foil what allows us to see um two human beings as less different as against uh, another animal like a cat is that the human beings and the cat are all commensurable. That is, that their differences are um, differences in measurement as well. That and and so this is um, that's why it's important to get what are the characteristics of human beings that we're focused on when we form the concept man. Well, it's differences as a kid. It might be in shape that there's man shape as against cat shape, and they're commensurable their conceptual common denominator then is shape shape is something where we can compare man shape to cat shape whereas we there's nothing commensurable there's not there's no way to compare two men to red or two men to a sound and so that's really all we're adding is that the foil has to be along the same axis of uh, a measurable characteristic and um, as an adult the distinguishing characteristic that we reach is man is the rational animal he has the faculty of reason and and so here too we're dealing with a range of consciousness and that and we would contrast it with something like a dog or a cat that had a range of consciousness but a different one we couldn't form the concept man you know as against a computer because the you're you wouldn't there is no range of consciousness on a computer there's not a commensurable characteristic in that way and so that's really all we're adding we're not adding anything to the process we're just understanding the process and what allows us to perform it in a deeper way now briefly i want to contrast the conceptual common denominator the ccd uh from uh, the genus in a, in a definition because this is something that people will sometimes confuse so we'll talk about definitions more i think two videos from now but um in a definition you have a a, a genus and a differentiate and a differentia you have the genus is the wider class that the existent you're conceptualizing belongs to say animal for man and then the differentia is the distinguishing characteristic or characteristics that set off this group uh, from the wider class. So for man, it's rationality. It's our ability to reason. It's the fact that we survive by reason. So um, we have a, a wider class from which we're distinguishing one class. And um, it, the genus is not the CCD. The CCD is not a class. It is a characteristic is a measurable characteristic so it's something like shape range of consciousness um, it's not a class of entities if we're talking about concepts of entities so I, I just want to make sure that we're not blending those two things together because they sometimes get confused the ccd is a characteristic and and the distinguishing uh characteristic is going to be a a range um or a uh 
category of measurements within the CCD. Let me just clarify that last point. So I've been talking about when we're forming the concept of man, we're saying that there's a range of measurements of human shape as against cat shape or human range of consciousness as against cat range of consciousness. And that what we're doing is saying that man falls anywhere within that range, right? Um, Sometimes we're not dealing with a range of measurements, but a category of measurements. And so, for instance, if you're forming the concept triangle, you're dealing with three sides, right? So it's uh, it's not a range, it's a category. So I just wanted to get that. That's what I'm trying to capture by saying that range or category of measurements. So I don't have that much more to say on the topic of integration than what we've already covered. Um, I do want to really just pause and emphasize one particular point. And that is when we're omitting measurements in the process of integrating, what we're doing is saying um, we're not ignoring anything, right? We're not uh, pretending measurements don't exist. We're saying they must exist, but they're not being specified. The measurements exist in some quantity, but any quantity within the range or category of measurement that we're talking about. And so this is very different from how most people think about the process of abstraction that the more abstract we're getting the 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 more general our concepts the less we're seeing you know that you have less resolution and uh and so the the idea is that abstraction is making us in effect more blind and from objectivism's view that's all wrong it's that omitting measurements is not ignoring them it's not pretending they don't exist it's seeing something more it's seeing relationships that you can't see just on the perceptual level so it's additive. And a really nice contrast that Harry Binswanger once gave, you know, you have the moderate realist position, which is this idea that abstraction is focusing on some characteristics and ignoring others, focusing on the, you know, universal characteristics and ignoring the particular characteristics. And he says that this is the equivalent of saying that, you know, what is number? Where is number? Well, it's not one, you know, it's neither one nor two nor three. It's something, you know, uh, that's common to those, right? And from objectivism's view, that's not right. Rather, it's what number captures is it's either one or two or three, so um, I found that really helpful in getting the way in which, you know, integration is grasping something more. Measurement omission is grasping something more. It's not leaving anything out. It's not making us blind. It's not, you know, lowering the resolution with which we're viewing reality. It's enhancing the scale of what we can hold in our mind. A quick word then about sameness. So I think what we've seen is that perceptually what we grasp is similarity. Um, But when we're just looking perceptually at things, they're still different, right? There's nothing identical about them. We can see them as similar to human beings, as similar as against a cat, but there's nothing identical. That sameness, we don't perceive sameness. Uh, Sameness has to be grasped conceptually. Um, it's what and to grasp things as the same is important right because what we're going to do is we're going to treat the units of a concept as identical in a certain respect 
Um, and so where, what is that identity? What is that sameness? And objectivism's perspective is that it's not something you can strip away and then perceptually see sameness or identity, that if you do that, everything's just different. But at the conceptual level, we can grasp sameness. We can grasp identity. But what, it, what does it mean? It means the same range of measurements. And I think this helps us answer a question that uh, Greg Salmieri years ago gave a course on objectivist epistemology and outline and raised a really fascinating question, which is, okay, what allows us to treat all men as the same? So we've said it's a range of measurements, but that's not quite sufficient because um, imagine if somebody said, I'm forming a concept uh, he used, this is what Greg used, greenie. And greenies not standing for the characteristic of color, but it's for entities, and we're going to treat them all the same as long as they're green, right? And so you can imagine like a green tomato and a green car and a green building, um, and you know green lettuce and uh, you know what are other things? Green tennis ball, right? And we're just gonna those are greenies, and we're going to treat them all the same. But you'd run into a, a real problem, right? There doesn't seem to be anything particularly the much the same about them. And so why is it that we can, you know, form the concept man and treat all men the same, but we can't form the concept greeny? And what he emphasizes is that when we're engaged in the process of concept formation, so take it, you know, a kid noticing, all right, there's man shape as against cat shape, um, and so men are similar as against cats. Part of what they're doing is recognizing a causal connection between man shape and other features of men, so that it's that man shape is related to or causing, in some sense, man motion. So the the walking and man shape is what allows you know them to reach and grab things from high shelves, and that uh, and and you know man shape is in some way causally related to man speaking and making uh, unique sets of noises. So it's that what you're doing is you're not just plucking out any characteristic when you're forming a concept. It's that it's a characteristic that distinguishes and uh, explains a lot of the other things that you're observing first at the perceptual level, and then later on when we're forming more abstract concepts um, at higher and higher levels of conceptual development. But that it's, um, you're not just plucking out a characteristic, it's a characteristic that is causally related to a lot that is uh, distinguishing about the entities and that you can get that even on the perceptual level um, versus green there's nothing to see that that greenness is causally uh, related to about the entity right so you can form the concept green to refer to the characteristic that's common amongst different you know colored things um, that's totally legitimate but if you're trying to just pluck one similar characteristic and use that to unite different entities. Um, there's a reason that kids don't form the concept greeny. It's because they're not observing a causal relationship between that and other things about entities. Whereas for something like man, if you have the CCD of shape, you notice that you know man shape, the dis, you know, distinguishing category of measurements, is related to many distinctive things about man. And then once you form a more adult, you know the adult concept uh, of man or the uh, adult understanding of man as a range of consciousness, then you have many more causal connections about what's distinguishing man from the other things around you. So as we're wrapping up, one question that 
uh, I think is interesting to ask is what's the validation of this theory? And one thing that I'd say is it's not that we walk around and study how human beings form concepts because part of objectivism's whole perspective is that the conceptual level is not automatically correct it's not automatically tied to reality and that many people as she talks about in the book um, beyond the kind of basic concepts of entities that they get directly from perception very low level concepts that just leap out at you and are formed virtually automatically it's that many people don't uh, actually form concepts actively they just take them over from others and they're kind of fuzzy approximations and that there's many concepts that people um, use and take over that aren't even legitimate concepts and so you can't just like perform a sociological study in order to understand or validate this is concept formation and i think what has to happen for somebody to discover this is just uh, well ayn Rand tells us that the way to actually think about um concept formation is not even to start with like projecting how a child forms a concept we talk about that a lot and that's it's a useful example um, or a useful perspective to have on concept formation is how would you first form this from reality but that when you're actually thinking about okay is this theory right and how do i form concepts you want to focus on how you as an adult actually form concepts and she gives in particular the example of um, and, and this is in the appendix to ITOE, I believe, where she's, uh, in fact, I'm certain, um, where she says that, no, you want to think about new concepts you form, and you form them all the time. So think of new inventions. She gives at that time uh, TV and radar, and that you want to think about what is my mind doing when it's going through this. And so that's how you get kind of the conscious process of formulating concepts and then i think what goes on is that you have somebody like Heinrich Rand go okay well what allows me to do that and in effect it's my mind uh, omitting measurements and saying they okay they exist in some but any quantity um and so that's the basic insight but then how do you check it how do you validate that theory well Heinrich Rand talks about how she herself discovered the theory and it was basically she sat and introspected and got this idea of measurement omission but then she had to check it, check it against every concept and see, does it apply? How does it apply? And we get in um, Introduction to Objectivist Epistemology, we get in uh, the chapter where she first introduces, introduces measurement omission. Um, she takes the kind of, you know, uh, basic cases of concepts of entities and concepts of attributes, but then she goes through virtually every uh, other type of concept that one could form, um, everything from materials to, um, you know, prepositions to conjunctions to adverbs, adjectives, and shows in what way it involves uh, omitting measurements. And I, I think it's really helpful to, in your own mind, as you're learning this theory, to take some time and, and, and you know, it's not that you have to like reform every concept in your mind, but just to range across the different kinds of concepts and say, okay, do I understand in what way uh, these concepts are formed through measurement omission? And, you know, it can be a little tricky and confusing. Hopefully it will become a little easier 
Um, as uh, and we'll go through some of those, I think, in later ones. But I want to get to the next section where we'll talk more explicitly about abstractions from abstractions and uh, uh, concepts of consciousness. That will give us a little bit more context to be able to go through some examples beyond just first level um, ones, which I think are pretty straightforward. I think most people get, okay, this is how I'd form the concept ball. This is how I'd form the concept chair. This is how I'd form the concept man. But in order to really understand some of these, you know, trickier ones, like how do you form a concept of conjunction, uh, of a conjunction, um, we need a little bit more context. So uh, we'll get into that next time. Until then, be sure to like the video and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And as always, the best way to stay in contact is to go to donswriting.com and sign up for the newsletter. Talk next time.